everybody. I'm Karen Hartglass. You're listening to It's All About Food. It's All About Food has recently been selected by USA Today 10 Best as one of the best vegan food podcasts. Oh, I just love saying that. I've been hosting the It's All About Food podcast since 2009, bringing you a wide range of information related to food, the good news, the bad news, the delicious news. And today we are going to be talking about one of the most basic things of all when it comes to food, bread. I have with me today Ed and Natasha Tatton. Their new book, Bread, B-R-E-D, is out today. Bread, sourdough loaves, small breads, and other plant-based baking. Let me tell you a bit more about them before we start chatting with them. Ed Tatton is a professional chef who has been to culinary college and worked in high-end kitchens in the UK, Australia, New Zealand, as well as Canada, but now specializes in making organic, naturally leavened sourdough. As co-owner of Bread Organic Sourdough with his wife, Natasha, Ed leads a small bakery team making and baking bread, pizza dough, and other small baked goods. These days, Ed's food is compassionately 100% plant-based of movement he is passionately excited to be a part of and help grow for the benefit of people, the planet, and animals. He lives in Whistler, British Columbia. And you can find out more on Ed on Instagram and Facebook at Ed's underscore bread. That's E-D-S underscore B-R-E-D. And now Natasha Tatton is an English teacher turned bakery manager, animal rights advocate, and co-founder of Bread Organic Sourdough, that 100% plant-based cafe bakery in Whistler, British Columbia. Natasha has taught English all over the world, but now leads a small front-of-house team of cashiers and baristas. She taught English and ventured into various food and beverage roles, nurturing her desire to establish a vegan eatery to provide more compassionate food choices for people. I don't want to waste another minute. Let's get started with Ed and Natasha Tatton to talk about bread. Mm. Thanks so much, Karen. It's a real pleasure to be here today. Yes, Ed and Natasha Tatton have this gorgeous, amazing book out called Sourdough Loaves, Small Breads, and Other Plant-Based Baking. Now, I want to give a little introduction here about where I'm coming from with all of this. I've been doing this podcast, It's All About Food, since 2009, and I have talked to many cookbook authors And maybe in the last half of this series of podcasts, I haven't talked to many cookbook authors because I'm kind of tired and bored of talking about cookbooks. Now, I'm really glad that there are vegan cookbooks and so many of them out there. That's a wonderful thing. But I find that a lot of cookbooks don't have much in them. The recipes might be interesting, but there's no craft. Mm. There's no real skill. And a lot of them are driven to make things fast because (laughs) that's what people seem to want. Everybody's working really hard and they need to be able to put a meal together in minutes. Okay. That's not my thing. 
I believe in real food. I believe in craft and skill. And in some ways, we're having a food crisis, especially in the Western world, where there's very little quality. The food system is a disaster. Industrial food is a disaster. People don't know what's in their food. They just want something quick, cheap, tasty. It's loaded with salt, oil, and fat. And we've lost the craft. And as a result, many people are unhealthy and overweight. Mm -hmm. And bread is often a bad word. It could be a four-letter word, as you put it, (laughs) B-R-E-D. Yeah, you're totally totally right. Like bread has got such a bad rep over the last sort of 50, 60 years. And I'm pleased to be part of the sourdough revolution and you know like you said there's so much stuff in food that we don't know about the average loaf of bread you buy in the grocery store that's wrapped in plastic has between 25 and 35 ingredients the sourdough that we make true sourdough is organic flour water and salt sea salt no baker's yeast no commercial yeast it's all natural yeast from the air from our hands from the flour naturally leavened three ingredients so you have to ask when you go to the store you look on the pack what are these ingredients they're sugars emulsifiers stabilizers why is your bread in your cupboard you know still soft in two weeks time so we're trying to change people's perception there was a massive growth in people making sourdough during the pandemic because we had more time so i think our appreciation for sourdough and baking has grown And maybe people aren't making sourdough anymore, but our book is to help people make simple recipes. Some aren't so simple, but some are simple. Some might take you a little bit, a few hours. Some might take you three days. Um, So we're really excited to bring bread, the cookbook, to to the world and, and share our sourdough and our vegan baking recipes. This is an important book, and especially the first 100 pages where you're talking about sourdough bread and the different recipes that you can do. We need to know how to do this. More people need to be doing it. There needs to be a demand for it because our health depends on it, not just our taste buds. This bread, I haven't tasted anything. I wanted to kind of eat the pages, but <laughs> it wasn't really possible. <laughs> but I know a good sourdough bread and and. Most people prefer those breads when they taste them. And some people have never even had a good bread. But we have so many problems with our guts today. Mm -hmm. And I really believe you you delved into it a little bit in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But the sourdough and the bacteria and the enzymes and all those things that are going to work with the wheat make it a food that is digestible and good for us. And so many people today have wheat intolerances and celiac. It breaks my heart, the people that can't eat wheat at all. Mm -hmm. And then you're making this food organic, which is so critical with wheat, because personally, I think a lot of the digestive issues people have is because they're getting glyphosate residue Mm -hmm. with their wheat, because we know that glyphosate is used as a desiccant when wheat is grown. And this is all bad news. So the good news is we now have this beautiful book, Sourdough Loaves, Small Breads and Other Plant-Based Baking, and you go into such phenomenal detail. This is what a cookbook should be, the details, 
everything you need to consider. It's all there. I cook and I make bread and I make it with, you know, a package of yeast and I'm, <laughs> I feel like it's just cheating. Cheating, so. but that's okay. You know, it, it takes a lot of work to nurture and keep a sourdough starter alive. So don't feel so bad about it, Karen. I mean, it's better that you're making your own bread than buying something in a store. You don't really know what's in it. You don't really know when it was baked. I think uh, anyone making bread at home, like hats off to them because not many people are doing that at all. And it, it gives you an appreciation for true sourdough or baking in general. Can we talk about sourdough, the starter to, to start with? I want to talk <laughs> about the starter. Mm -hmm. I made a sourdough starter some years back in the 90s. I was living in France. I don't remember how I got the information on how to do it, but I do know I had this thing living in my cabinet and I didn't know that I could refrigerate it. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I stopped with the starter was I was traveling a lot and I couldn't feed my monster. <laughs> Can you talk about that? Cause you said you originally you were traveling with your starter from farm to farm. Totally. Yeah. It's the, it's the foundation. You know, I get a lot of questions through Instagram, people asking, you know, how do I make open holes? How do I make this beautiful loaf of bread? But it's the foundation. We have to start with the mother, the culture, the starter. Um, so it's uh, a symbiotic, uh, you know, collection of all these enzymes and bacterias. And it's way more complicated than we can even fathom. And they like schedule. So if your schedule is making bread, every day like we do we feed our starter every 12 hours we keep it at room temperature and we feed it the same temperature water the same amount the quantity uh, and the same ratio a 50 50 blend of organic flour but if you only want to make bread once a week then that's fine you feed it once or twice a week and you store it in the refrigerator because temperature is key slowing down the enzymes the activity means they're still there but they're a bit more dormant Whereas having it at room temperature, very active, they need lots of feeding like children. Um, so this is basically like our children. We have a couple of sourdough starters. And that's what we really wanted to get across in the cookbook was how to create a sourdough starter. But the most important thing is how to maintain a sourdough starter, how to give people longevity so they have the confidence to make the bread. But as they're going along on this journey of creating a culture, there's also recipes in there for the discard. Zero waste is really important to us as part of a business, but also at home. So there's crackers that you could make with the discard. There's waffles and pancakes. So before you even get to making the bread, you're getting to know your culture and when it likes to be fed and when it falls because it needs more food, i.e. the flour. So, yeah, we try to make it as easy as possible. I, I was happy to see the zero waste products, which came at the end of the book. I don't know if you mentioned that they were coming in the beginning, but when I read that you discard some of this starter, I was like, oh, I don't want to waste it. But you've come up with wonderful recipes for them. Mm -hmm. I have a musical theater background, and I don't know if you've ever heard of the musical, The Little Shop of Horrors, mm -hmm. Yes, where there's this man-eating plant yeah <laughs> he's always going feed me feed me mm -hmm. i couldn't help but think of that because in the in the in the beginning pages you're always talking about this schedule of feeding feeding this yeah. thing that you've created Absolutely. okay i'm a little silly and a little dark but this is really important so we have 
really incredible details. Now, can we talk about the illustrations in the book just briefly? Because they are really critical to the book. I really appreciate a cookbook that has not only beautiful pictures, but informative pictures. So you had a photographer do all these pictures, and I cannot imagine what it was like setting everything up. I don't think people realize, you know, when you're cooking and you want to get every stage and yeah. everything clean and neat and beautiful and presentable, how do you do that? Or how did you do it? You have to let go of perfection a little bit because <laughs> you're scheduling somebody. I mean, we're up in the mountains and our photographer lives in Vancouver, so it's a two-hour drive. So you schedule a day. Okay, you're going to come up on this day. We're going to do eight different recipes that day. You're going to shoot them all, and then you're going to drive home, and we're paying you for your time. And, you know, with baking, sometimes it doesn't go the way you want it to, or things don't come out of the oven exactly as pretty as you wanted them to look. And sometimes you just have to let it go a little bit because, you know, you're on a schedule to get your photos done for submission to your publisher. Um, so there was a little bit of that, a little bit of letting go on how perfect we wanted things to be. But I'm glad that you you felt they came across really well. Yeah, yes. I think process shots are really important. You know, you can write as much text as possible, but we most people learn visually. You know, if you can see it step by step, it was really important for us to shoot as much as possible. at Well, all of it was shot, shot at the bakery, but in natural light, just so it was you know, not photoshopped, it's kind of not too many props, just keeping it simple and all about the food. Beautiful. I did not even mention once we got started that you are both vegan and yes. this is a vegan cookbook. Now, some people might assume that because I promote a whole food vegan diet that I would only have vegan cookbook. Occasionally I'll have a cookbook that isn't completely vegan, but I want to celebrate that and thank you for being <laughs> vegan. The thank world you. thanks you. Well, <laughs> Well, what we love about your podcast is you do have um, vegan authors on it and you're quite outspoken about vegan issues, topics, which we love. And thank you also for saying about the market being saturated with cookbooks that are vegan. There's so many vegan cookbooks out there and that's a great thing. But like you also mentioned, alluded to that we've got stuck in this convenience culture and I kind of believe that maybe the convenience culture is not so convenient after all as mm -hmm. it's leading to lots of other issues like food waste which is why we have a zero food waste chapter in our cookbook is because we don't agree with that we don't agree that the industry standard for most bakeries and cafes is 30 percent gets thrown away at the end of the day when 30 percent of the world perhaps are starving or food insecure so these, there's other issues that go beyond just not eating animals. And we also noticed that there was a gap, that there aren't that many vegan-specific baking books. Most baking books, I mean, most bakeries are still heavily reliant on eggs, cream, butter, cheese, mm -hmm. all of those types of things. So we did feel that there was some room to come in with a book that would help inspire people to cook, bake more ethically. So that was our legacy with this cookbook i've been vegan for 35 years and vegetarian for a lot longer i've <laughs> seen the world change mm -hmm. i was ecstatic when aquafaba was discovered changed <laughs> the world right yeah and we we can easily access a variety of vegan butters commercially and makes things a lot simpler and mm -hmm. you use vegan butter in a lot of your recipes and you have 
you have your egg replacers and you go into detail about what you use and why and how you have to know what it is, what kind of characteristics you want to know what kind of egg replacer you're going to use. It's all very important stuff. Okay. You really so, did read the book. Oh, no, I, <laughs> I, I read it and I made notes. So now I want to talk about some of my questions. The first one is where you're talking about the crust and you're recommending using something like a Dutch oven. I don't know if people are familiar with these cast iron cloche style bread pans, but can you talk about it and why it's important or why you use it and also how we get that great crust? Absolutely. I mean, I'm fully aware we've rented for most of our lives. We owned a property for a little bit, but we ended up selling that in the UK to build our bakery here in Whistler. But most rental, you know, or even home cooks, they don't have great ovens. Uh, a lot of the time they might not run at the right temperature or they let heat escape. So a Dutch oven, cast iron, you can put it in the oven, preheat it, and it almost becomes an oven within your oven. And it's kind of, it means you can put the loaf in there with the lid on and it catches all the steam. It's airtight. So it allows the bread to steam for the first half of baking and really get that nice oven spring, the pop. Um, and then when you remove that, all the sugars, the natural sugars from the grain is allowed to caramelize and form this deep, rich crust. Um, some people might turn the oven down a little bit, but at least the sort of second half, 20 to 30 minutes is just in this drier sort of humidity. Um, and then you get that nice golden brown crust. Um, so it's, it's for me, it's a great way of baking consistently at home. And you also say that the bread will stale more slowly. Exactly. I read this great article years ago about, you know, it's lovely having your window open and letting the sort of waft around on the air. But actually at the bakery, we when the bread comes out of the oven, it's stored quite closely together. The slower it cools down, um, the longer it will last. You might get an extra day. And then we talk in the book about storage, you know, the way we store our bread in a linen bag for example is great instead of wrapping it in plastic wrap and and then it might sweat or putting it in the fridge which is the driest place of the of the whole kitchen so it will dry it out and and be too much of a shock in temperature so there's a lot of things tips and tricks that we like to add and that we've written in the book to to help people um not just bake the bread but then store the bread and enjoy it you know for days afterwards. I'm going to need to buy a few more things. I thought I had everything in my kitchen, but now I'm realizing if I'm going to go in this bread direction, I need a few more things and that's okay. You talk about adding seeds to your bread and the process that you use, which I didn't know this, you toast the seeds and then you soak them. Mm -hmm. What's that about? Flavor. Well, because if you put something dry, like a toasted seed in the bread, it's going to attract moisture from the dough. So you don't want to dry the breadcrumb out. So you have to toast them for flavor and then soak them to get the moisture so the dough doesn't dry out while you're baking it. But then you can roll it in raw seeds because they'll naturally toast on the outside when you put it in the oven. Mm-hmm. Big, big fan of peanut butter. So if I can sort of get that sort of toasted, nutty sort of flavor into bread and then put peanut butter on top, then that's a win. <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe some sliced bananas. 
Oh, love, uh, perfect. Uh, and then maybe some dark chocolate chips. Oh yeah. Well, oh, we're yeah. we're in Canada, so for me it'd be maple syrup. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. We have maple syrup here. <laughs> yeah, they do. Oh yeah. So I'm sure some great in stuff. New York, they're in the maple yeah, syrup there you area. Go. Yeah. Okay. The next thing you have a section on brioche, mm-hmm. and I laughed because you included the section where we all know the expression in English where Marie Antoinette is quoted of saying, "Let them eat cake." And then you wrote that it really was the French was qu'il mange de la brioche, which means that they're that they should eat brioche, which is that rich eggy bread, not cake. Mm-hmm. And then I just took a moment and I just researched it a little further, and I was starting to read a little bit on Wikipedia, and it was really fascinating that they don't even attribute this quote to Marie Antoinette that it was probably some earlier royalty, and it just went down through the ages and. She was actually a little nicer and more thoughtful than we thought she was. Anyway, it was an interesting moment. There were some great facts that we got to research for the cook looking at the history because every recipe has to have like an introductory paragraph on like what inspired you to make this recipe. And for some, it's really easy. We can say like, oh, shortbread was like um, Ed's grandfather's favorite thing. Like we always bought him shortbread. Um, for birthday and Christmas. And, he, and he's Scottish, so he's I'm half Scottish, Scottish so mm-hmm. it kind of made sense to put it in the book. So it's nice to add that, but then it was also like, let's do some research on this as well. Like, where did this Scottish love of shortbread come from? Then you find, like, Queen Mary of Scots, um, she enjoyed shortbread, and she would have it with caraway seeds in it. And then mm-hmm. you're like, wow, like this is like 500 years of history, you know? And it's kind of interesting just to see how, how for how long these foods have been in our diet, you know, and mm-hmm. how historical they are and the significance of that. And I loved, I loved researching all of that for the book. Well, absolutely, especially since the last 50, 100 years, we're like destroying all of that. Yeah. So yeah. we need or to even bring in that. the last 50 years or so, yeah. you know, with all the new innovations in fast, fast food. Yeah. Okay, moving forward. So this isn't just a brilliant book on sourdough bread and all the wonderful details and how organized it is on making sourdough bread. That could be the book alone. Yeah. But you continue and we have all these great cakes. And that's where uh, the Marie Antoinette quote came in in the in the beginning of the cake section. But it's funny, we were watching um, a series recently, a series called Barry. Mm-hmm. It's very dark, actually. And there are these uh, mafioso type people from uh, Eastern Europe, I think. And they were always eating babka. And they would say, <laughs> should I order a babka? Two babka. And we were going nuts about babka. And I, I try to make a babka. And it was okay. It wasn't great. But now I have a great babka recipe. And I didn't know that the word babka meant little grandmother in Yiddish. <laughs> yes. There's another fun fact. <laughs> The babka recipe, is it the chocolate miso babka? It's absolutely incredible. It's like one of my favorite things in the world. When people ask me, like, what's your one of your favorite recipes in the book? It's that one. That's one of them. Yeah, I love the way miso does that. Miso is like um, coffee. Coffee is in our chocolate cookie recipe. These sort of ingredients that go together and elevate each other. I love mm-hmm. that, the way the, the salty miso just like brings out more flavor from the chocolate, the same that the coffee does it in the same way. Um, so I love pairing foods like that. And well, miso's it- another one of those magical foods because it's alive. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Fermented foods. Fermented foods. I was just going to say like um, how coffee 
we use it in our cookies as a spice in the sense that um, a lot of mums are going to be very upset with us when they get this <laughs> cookie recipe because loads of kids come in and the mums always buy them the cookies and they don't realise that they have coffee and I don't think um, because you can't taste the coffee at all, but it just brings out the chocolate flavour and people mm. always say, these cookies are the best cookies in the world. And I'm like, yeah, it's because they've got coffee in, I think. Like it adds that little <laughs> extra something to the cookie that they're not aware of. So sorry, mums, but that's why you love them so much. They've got coffee in. Well, why are parents concerned about their children eating coffee? Because it has caffeine. Mm-hmm. Chocolate has caffeine. Yeah. Are they afraid their children are going to get all wound up? Well, if mm-hmm. they eat very sugary foods. Yeah, totally. What's and happening them- there? Coca-Cola, and that's, you know, full of sugar and caffeine. But you don't think to give a five-year-old an espresso shot, do you? Yeah. I don't know why. Probably the espresso is more natural than the Coca-Cola. Absolutely. Next, I noted, I think you have three apple recipes. There's the uh, tart tartin, which is the tatin tart. Tart tatin. (laughs) (laughs) That was just a little silly joke, yeah. But there are a couple of others where you don't peel the apples. No, I, I, that means so much nutrients and flavor, you know. I Uh, agree. I uh, never peel my apples when I make an apple pie. And so I, that just tickled me when I saw it. Here is, here's a cookbook full of craft and skill. And there's actually some recipes where they don't peel the apples. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we definitely, we wouldn't try and make it as approachable as possible. Like I didn't want to sort of, people to be I wanted it to be as approachable as possible but a, a book that wasn't too easy or too advanced you know there's easy recipes in there that you can make in a food processor like a simple gluten-free cake or there's you know cinnamon buns that might take two or three days to make so it's really sort of a, a book for everyone and to to grow you know with, mm-hmm. with the baking I'm glad you included a few gluten-free recipes and that bread looks amazing and I'm going to definitely have to make that one. I do a lot of gluten-free baking because I have people in my family who have celiac Mm -hmm. and I hope that they find a cure for that because sourdough bread is something we should all enjoy. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we've got, there's a whole chapter for gluten-free uh recipes actually that was really important to us owning the bakery gave us the insight to how many people are looking you know they might buy sourdough but for treats and things they want something lower in gluten or 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 no gluten in there so it, it enabled us to research that element of baking as well there's a couple of recipes where you use sprouted buckwheat Mm -hmm. where did you learn about sprouting buckwheat well i think i was there has to be the master Doug Evans. Doug Evans, the sprout man. He's a legend. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's a bit of a guru to us. There's we... nobody on the planet more passionate about sprouts than Doug Evans. I remember the sprout man, but unfortunately he passed and his sons are taking over. He was pretty passionate about sprouts. Oh, oh he, we must have missed that one. To us, Doug <laughs> Evans is the sprout man, but maybe there was another one. Was the sprout man a company that sells sprouts? And sprouts? It is now, yeah. Okay, because Doug references the sprout man in the okay. back of sprout book which we have and which we sell many copies of at the bakery um so yes we are really into sprouting um big time so doug evans was one of the first uh people that influenced me personally to start sprouting and now my freezer's full of sprouting seeds and i have sprouting jars and i have a whole dish rack set up in my kitchen just for sprouting 
different seeds at a 45 degree angle. Um, so we're mad about sprouting. Every Sunday at our bakery, we do a sprouted grain loaf. Sprouted Sundays. So ah. each each Sunday we rotate through the different grains or seeds. So buckwheat, we do sprouted rye, sprouted spelt, triticale we just did, um, which is a beautiful mm. grain. It's a hybrid between wheat and rye. Um, so they add amazing texture, uh, flavor, and of course, nutrient sort of value, give it a nice boost. And easier to digest than just the, you know, the grain without being sprouted. Just a moment on Sprout Man. He had a name and it was Steve Meyerowitz. Oh, Steve Meyerowitz. He was an awesome person. Rest we in miss you, Steve. Steve. Thank you for your legacy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this is a bizarre question. I was looking at the pictures and I noticed your muffin cups were tall and slim, oh. unlike the short squat muffin cups that are only available to me yeah. wherever I look. Where do you get those? <laughs> Nowhere nowadays. Yeah, this is a this is a hard one. Like there was a company, there's a company um, called Wilton, I think, and mm -hmm. uh, when when we started the bakery, we wanted to come up with a signature sweet item obviously we have the sourdough loaves but we wanted a sweet spread based um sugary you know thing that would become our signature and that was cinnamon buns we landed we were in the ski town of whistler you know maple syrup cinnamon perfect you can eat them all year round and then i'd always send them in trays but i'd seen uh, a lot of bakers making croffins which are mm -hmm. essentially a, a croissant dough that is rolled and put in a muffin tin so they're called croffins filled with some sort of filling delicious but no one that i could see was doing cinnamon buns in this way so i bought some of the tins and then people started asking me and i was happy to share where i bought these muffin tins from and then they seemed to become really difficult to get um, and I ended up getting my last ones from the UK and my mum kindly shipped them over. Good old mum. <laughs> so unfortunately, I can't find these XL extra large muffin tins anywhere now. But um, So if everybody listening to this show could write to Wilton, let's start a mass yeah. demand. Create demand. the demand. Extra large jumbo muffin pans. <laughs> yeah. We've had bakers all around the world contact us and say, where'd you get them from? Where'd you get them from? And I believe we bought the last ones out yeah. there. From the I UK. have written to them to ask if they could, you know, bring them back into circulation. So maybe yeah, we just need to get enough uh, traction. Okay, <laughs> Wilton. Yeah. Making a note. <laughs> One of the recipes that's definitely on my to-do list for Thanksgiving is the herb stuffing with red onion and pine nuts. Mm. Yum. <laughs> <laughs> You have a recipe for coconut yogurt that is in one of your recipes. And I was reading that. I make yogurt at home. I use usually use cashew milk. Sometimes I make almond milk. Sometimes I make a mixture of soy and almond and cashew. I discovered 10 years ago or so that my oven had a dehydrator option. So I started making it in there. I had had the oven already for 10 years before I discovered this. Wow. But okay. And now I have an instant pot. And I just made my first batch of yogurt in my instant pot. And I'm very happy. My question is, you said with the probiotic capsules to use a clean wooden or plastic spatula, don't use a metal spoon as it can react with the probiotic powder. Mm -hmm. How is that? Because when I make my yogurt, I usually use my last batch of yogurt and I mix it in and I use a metal spoon. Is that bad? Yeah, I've just, I've just read sort of people that they it can get... Um 
it can affect it. But I, you know, when you just get stuck in these, like, this is how I do it, it works. So I feel like there's no real rules, to be honest. If it works, okay. And 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 you've never had an issue. Then who am I? If you maybe they mean like a maybe they mean like a, an aluminum or a soft I metal, think, not a stainless steel exactly. or something like that. I think yeah. that's what it could be. Okay, I'm concerned using wooden. You say clean, but wood can absorb things. So I don't know how clean it is. Yeah, exactly. Maybe maybe it's good for the culture anyway. There was a documentary years ago I watched about some nuns that made cheese, and they made it in wooden bowls ah, and they, they had, were seasoned yeah they had some health and safety and this, these were not vegan nuns i'm sorry to tell you but <laughs> they had some uh food safety people rock up and tell them it was wrong and not food safe and they had to change to stainless steel so they did and then the cheese um didn't come out like the way they wanted it to it, it spoiled and so they actually managed to revert back to using the wooden so I wonder if somehow with fermented things, sometimes maybe the wood is actually because it's more natural or I'm not sure. But I just remember that these nuns had this great story on this show about using wooden bowls and how it actually was the way they'd always done it. And that's the way the cheese came out the way they wanted it to. So, right. I, I love that. Yeah, I I have a wooden bowl that was my grandmother's. And whenever I make bread, it's I make it in that wooden bowl. It's just a thing. Yeah. But maybe there's there's something to that. I love that. That's kind of the heritage being passed on. You almost yeah. get the energy <laughs> of, you know, all the previous bread that was made in that bowl. Exactly. Yes. Heritage. That's an important word. Macadamia feta. Oh, well, I'm pretty proud of this actually. Uh, Veg News just featured this recipe, which was pretty yeah. pretty huge for for us. They did an article on different vegan cheeses, um, so that was amazing. And that again, that was a bit of trial and error to make sure you know feta cheese people creamy vegan cheeses are pretty easy to make. Throw them in the blender, you know. But having that sort of set, almost crumbly texture, um, took a little bit of trial and error. But I wanted to make a nice scone, a feta sort of herb scone. So I was like, well, let's make the feta as well. So there's there's recipes in the book that aren't just baking. There's things like the feta. There's dips, accompaniments to eat with bread. Um, so we really put everything into it. We were like, you know, what sort of book do we want or do we not have? Have we not seen it out there? So having the chef background, that was not easy for me to do. But um, it was an exciting part of the book that I sort of felt almost more at home doing, you know, being a chef for 25 years, mm-hmm. only becoming a professional baker, mostly self-taught sort of six or seven years ago. Um, hmm. Yeah, it was it was exciting. We could have just written a book all about sourdough. Like Penguin have been so great with us, with our vision. They didn't really dictate anything to us. They just asked us hmm. initially do you want to write a sourdough and vegan baking book? And their emphasis was sourdough. But then we said to them, well, we can do sourdough. There's a lot of books out there that are just sourdough. So we can, we can bake lots of other things. Like we do our cinnamon buns and cookies. And they were like, yeah, go for it. And then it was like, oh, we're also like, we feel like we should do some gluten-free things because we have a lot of gluten-free customers. It's a big trend at the moment for whatever reason. And they're like, yeah, okay, great. And then we're like, (laughs) we're also like zero food waste at the bakery. So we'd really like to do a whole section on that. And that, yeah, great. And like everything we said, and then we were like, 
oh god we've got to make like a hundred recipes we're like well do you think we could do some of the things we have with bread like dips and they're like yeah great and then I was kind of like they didn't really (laughs) us doing anything and it was Mm. really awesome and for me it was like a book that was a bit more than just niching on like one thing one of my great influences is going vegan was the um oshi oshi glows cookbook by a canadian author angela lidden who's also very supportive of us and our book and everything that we do and she wrote an amazing cookbook years ago which was just everything breakfast lunch dinner celebration food snacks it's all in there um condiments and things like that and i just felt her book was such a great all-round book for people starting their vegan journey I've given it to gifts as friends when people tell me they've gone vegan. I go, here's a great cookbook for you. Right. Super easy, family friendly, etc. And I thought, why not have a baking book that's also accessible from different angles? It doesn't just have to be, oh, you better know how to make a sourdough starter and be able to make bread or this book's not for you. It's like, no, a lot of different people be able to use this book or use it in many different ways mm-hmm. um, to elevate their their cuisine at home, to elevate their lunches, breakfast, dinners, celebrations. Yeah, I'd say at least 50% of the book, actually, you don't need a sourdough starter for. So if it's a book that you want to buy for a friend who's just into baking or cooking, Maybe they'll start with those recipes mm-hmm. and then slowly move towards the sourdough or or vice versa. Uh, that's what I'm thinking, because I know I am going to start with some of the non-sourdough recipes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to marinate on this whole concept and be <laughs> ready. I'm not quite ready yet, but it and it's not that it's difficult, but you have to be organized and you have to set the time. Totally. And I feel like also it's building trust within the with the author or authors, should I say, you know, if you make sort of half a dozen recipes and you're like, well, actually, these work, you know, you almost feel confident that if you follow the steps that it should turn out pretty good because I've had, you know, I like I say a professional chef's background and I've picked up cookbooks in the past made them to the T like followed every instruction when have you ever followed a recipe no 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 I know what he's saying and they don't work right they don't work exactly (laughs) they don't work so that's why I don't follow them I just make my own up now he looks at the recipe Mm -hmm. and goes hmm this is what I'm gonna do (laughs) yeah well sometimes when you know how to cook and you're reading a recipe and you see they're adding something and you're like that's too much yeah (laughs) <laughs> or the temperature, you know, put it in the oven at 350 Fahrenheit and you're like, that's not mm-hmm. going to do anything. I need it higher. <laughs> or, or one of Ed's pet peeves is when people write in the recipes, um, saute the onions for three minutes oh. um, and they'll go translucent. And he's like, no, they don't. <laughs> How long do you have to? Oh, like 10 or 15. It's like what you were saying earlier. It's Absolutely. Like, we need to slow it down. We don't need to make our dinner sometimes in 10 minutes, 10 minutes or whatever. Whole family. But that's. That's the problem with some cookbooks because the cookbook authors are told these recipes have mm. to be quick. Yeah. And they lie. And or maybe they don't lie. But sometimes people that are not familiar with their kitchen or mm-hmm. how to chop an onion for example, mm-hmm. it's going to take them a lot longer than yeah. the recipe says just because they're they're mm-hmm. not skilled yet. Yeah. Okay. okay. And I'm saying it's okay. And I'm saying what you need is a book like this one <laughs> because you get everything. You get the details, you get the pictures, you get 
the understanding why you're doing the things you're doing. We need that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I just want to say with the macadamia feta, I was interested to see how you did that because I've made cheeses before and it has agar agar powder in it. And I was surprised to see that you could blend it up and the the high powered blender gets warm enough yeah. to yeah. get the agar to do what it needs to do rather than having to put it oh. on a pot and cook it. Yeah, I'm kind it really of, works. I'm, yeah, it does. It does promise really, me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You've got a night like I mean, we use a Vitamix. I love uh -huh. them. That definitely gets hot enough and it gets smooth and you're saving on washing up, which is always a bonus. <laughs> so I'm always like, you know, make sure try to think about that as well. And the publishers were really good at that. They were like, do we need another bowl for this? Do we can we use the same spatula? So they were really good in guiding us. You know, they're the professionals. They're like, you know, I, I will come from a professional kitchen background where there's someone doing the dishes for me. I'm very lucky in that sense. But when you're at home and you're doing it yourself, you don't need to use seven different bowls. So that was really good as well, which we don't always think about when we're mm -hmm. reading a cookbook. Um, right. So we can save that. And also wastage, you know, transferring it from a blender to a pot back to a container. You're losing this expensive macadamia cheese. Because even if you use a nice rubber spatula, you'll never get everything out. It will stick to the bottom of the pan. So it's just a way to activate the agar agar um, and, and save food and time. Mm -hmm. and Vitamix actually promote that their blender does heat things up and you can make soups in them and things like that, hot soups. And yeah, it does. You'll notice if you blend for like longer than five minutes, some, it will, yeah, it three, will, three, it will five heat minutes. it up. Yeah, I knew it did that. And quite some time ago, 2004, 2005, I, I had my raw period where I was only <laughs> eating raw nice. foods. <laughs> and I knew that the blenders, you could make soups in them and get them warm, but not hot over 118 degrees. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which was some magic temperature where things died or something. <laughs> anyway, but I haven't used it for this and I'm really excited to try that. Mm. Right. Okay, the last one I, I made a note of was the spicy, the smoky and spicy baked beans. And I just thought mm. I could make that today because I have all the ingredients. Amazing. That's <laughs> one of our most popular savory items, I would say, that we've ever done. We still get people through this. We do these little sort of flatbread. We call them tartines, essentially sourdough base. It's like a little pizza dough for one person to take on the mountain for lunch and in the summer we use local organic vegetables things like zucchini with pesto or um we did a beetroot apple and toasted walnut one recently because the beetroots are more in season now mm -hmm. but in the winter we can't get fresh produce from our local farms because we're in canada and it snows a lot and so a lot of the produce is imported from california or mexico in the winter we don't really like to do that in the bakery we like to try and support local and what can you get locally you can get potatoes and beans you can buy dry and they last forever in the kitchen so we do a uh, house-made smoky spicy baked beans with roasted potato topping on essentially like a pizza dough crust and people love it even people that are like we call it the beans on toast because it's a throwback to our British heritage. <laughs> it's a classic British breakfast and it's kind of student breakfast, like super cheap, can of beans from the store and some toast. Um, but it's really hearty. It's really filling. When you're out snowboarding or skiing all day, then you need a big 
you know, a big calorie intake to keep you going. So it, it works really well in our town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ed, you talked about being a professional chef and it sounded amazing. All of your experience in three-star Michelin restaurants. Have you broken any rules or felt like you were you were breaking rules when you were creating vegan recipes or was it just adding to the skill set you already had? Yeah, I think it, I always say when people ask, like, when you went vegan, what changed? And I think it. I've always had a passion for food. Uh, that never went away. I feel like when I went vegan, it almost ignited the passion even more um, and opened up all these new ingredients that you could do. Like, at that point, I could, and still now, if I wanted to, but I have no desire to, I could cook a steak with my eyes closed, you know, a piece of meat, you know, it's like... For me, it's become boring. It's it's more the the vegetables. You have to put more love into them, and but at the same point, you don't like you could eat a radish just from the ground. You could pick mm-hmm. it and enjoy it, and it's peppery and it's so fresh and crunchy. You know, it has everything that you need. So vegetables and fruits and legumes and everything like that, sprouts that we've talked about. Like I get way more passionate about that and the sustainability and you know it's good for us it's good for the animals like there's nothing negative that you can say about a vegan diet really all the research is there you Mm. know the people that you know deny or whatever they they're living in i don't know a different land like for me it's just i love it so much you know if if i could have the bakery and a restaurant and you know have a lot more time then an eight day week, then I would open a restaurant as well, because for me, it's, it's, it's the way that we should be eating. I would love to have a bread, B-R-E-D store <laughs> in New York, but I'm not telling you to franchise or make a chain or anything <laughs> like that, because I personally oh, believe you want to sponsor us. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, there's that. But when you're doing what you're doing, this artisanal cooking with craft and quality i don't know that it can be duplicated or made into a chain yeah i agree yeah i agree it's it's very difficult people often ask us even to to move to vancouver which is about two hours away from us down the highway you know that's it's too far to split our time and really bread b-r-e-d our bakery is natasha and i it's a part of the community you know it, it can't really be replicated and that's why this cookbook allows us to share it with the world you know a lot of the recipes in the cookbook are things we still make at the bakery i have become iconic sort of staples of what we make like the cinnamon buns the chocolate cookies the bread we haven't really i feel like being creative is about sharing and it as soon as you share something it, it leaves room to create more so Mm. Who knows if this book does really well, there could be a number two. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, Natasha, what was that expression on your face? <laughs> well, it was, you know, we're running a business full time and writing the cookbook. It wasn't an ideal extra project to take on. It's like having another full time job on top of your other. Uh, and, you know, in the business, we wear lots of hats. You know, we we run the business, we operate the business. So we are very stretched but we love what we do and make no mistake we are mission-led vegans and one of the um local tradespeople said to us you're writing a book you're putting all your secrets you're selling all your trade secrets and I said yeah 
go ahead. I said, you know, I named some of our competitors. I said, maybe so-and-so down the street's going to start making vegan cinnamon buns. Like, <laughs> go ahead. If you think you got the skill to make an organic sourdough cinnamon bun, please be my guest. And if that means that more people are going to eat vegan baking, excellent. Then we're on our mission. You know, we're achieving what we want, which is a vegan world. Um that may be an ideal, but we're aiming for it anyway, you know. So the book is just a way for us, as Ed said, to, to put it out there. And if everyone wants to start jumping on our recipes and making them, make sure you tag us, Ed's underscore bread on Instagram. We'll happily follow along with your journey as well. Beautiful. I believe in that. I was thinking, I know you don't have a lot of time because what you're doing takes a lot of time, but and the book is going to be very helpful for people that want to learn more, but they, people will probably want to have a, a class in all of this, mm -hmm. right? Any thought of giving classes or we have you done that have, already? We've, we've, I've taught in the past, actually, previous um, job that I had in the UK. It was a beautiful boutique hotel and we had outbuildings and I taught in person. And I have amazing memories of that because it's just one-on-one, -on -one, well, not even one-on-one, -on -one, but a class of eight to 12. I remember once I taught 24 eight-year-old girls how to make <laughs> pizza. And I had this thing where it was sourdough pizza and they all have their dough that I've made already and all the toppings laid out and they just shape them and put the toppings on and then I bake them. And then we do cupcakes. And I have this thing where I have flour at the, the table and I'm standing at the head of the table and just to get the kids hyped up, I throw, I do the flower flick down uh -huh. the table. And as I flick this flower, the birthday girl puts her face out in front of me to cheer. And she gets the flower right in her face. Flower bombed. <laughs> and the mum looked at me. And it was one of those things when a kid falls over, if everyone just cheers and says everything's all right, she's going to, instead of being like, are you okay? And they loved it. And it is really nice to teach in person, but I think, to really spread it now, going forward 10 years, it has to be online. Absolutely. With all the equipment. So maybe that would be a thing, you know, um, to share the recipes and dive deeper into, you know, people have questions, maybe do it live. Um, so it's definitely, we're hoping the book will open doors and maybe help us achieve these sorts of things. But we're very open to maybe starting a YouTube channel and demoing like the techniques that are in the book. We do a lot of that already on Instagram, mm. uh, different shaping techniques and things like that, stitching up your dough and, and that type of stuff. You can you can see Ed in action. And then people come in the bakery and just stand there watching because it's all open plan. So they can see that we're making everything on site from scratch. So I, I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm thinking. This is just my idea. I'm just going to say it. Um, <laughs> if you had a class on sourdough baking, it could happen over a series of days. Mm -hmm. And people have to get the materials. And then you start. And then you do the feedings. And people could ask questions in the moment while they're doing it. But it has to take time, right? You can't do yeah. it in three hours. Yeah. Uh, another thing I'm thinking about which is why I want you to stay small or just stay. Don't franchise. Don't get too big. <laughs> I want you to have great success and make a lot of bread, but keep it local. I'm thinking about Miyoko. Yeah. And you mentioned Miyoko's butter yeah. in your book many, many times. And I remember when I interviewed her on this podcast a long time ago, 
when she would put out her cookbooks. And then we talked about her artisan vegan cheese making. And she had no plan at the time of making cheese. Mm. And I was saying to her, these recipes are great, but most people aren't going to want to do them. You know, mm-hmm. you have to make make the cheese. And then sure enough, she got the funding and made the company. And many of us know what happened, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, she is no longer with the company. Mm-hmm. And I I believe it was all settled amicably after a difficult time. And she's off and doing more amazing things because she's just a spectacular person. But business is complicated, especially when you have investors. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely. And, and I think that sort of product was she was able to, you know, put that into the mass market, things like sure. that. Sourdough for us is our passion and the backbone of our business. And like we spoke about earlier, you know, I don't want to add all these additives and things so I can ship it all over Canada. Um, So even though a product would be nice and could, you know, enable us to work less or give us more freedom, um, we'll we'll see. I don't know if it, it would be sourdough, but again, maybe it would be cookies or... Babka. A babka, exactly. <laughs> Who knows? We we are, we'd like to plan for the immediate future, but not too far because who knows what's around the corner. We are open to any opportunities coming our way to review. We just want to ride the wave of a cookbook. We're just excited to get it out to market and for everybody to try making something from it. And we'll just see what what happens next. You know, we're still in Whistler, running our little bakery, serving our community. And that is enough for us. And But if there's more that's meant for us, then we are always welcome to entertain that as an idea. Um, but we are not people that are like, we're not profit-driven. Like, how can we, you know, go mass market and make loads of money, mm-hmm. you know, get investors and seed rounds and all of that. Like, it doesn't excite us at all. It really doesn't. Our happiness is much more smaller scale than that. Um, we would just like a bit more free time to get out in nature. That's really all we want <laughs> in life. Um, and and if people are open to starting their own thing with our recipes, we're very happy to support that. We want more people to go vegan for their own sake, for the animals, for the environment. That's really what's going to bring us joy in this crusade. Beautiful. Well, I wish you tremendous success with this book. And I hope you start a big movement, everybody making sourdough yes. all over the place. And we get all of these great bugs in the air everywhere that we're all collecting and growing and putting in our breads. Thank uh, you. Karen. Thanks so much, Karen. Yeah. Okay. Ed and Natasha Tatton, authors of Sourdough Loaves, Small Breads and Other Plant-Based Baking. Thank you so much for joining me today on It's All About Food. I can't wait to get to Whistler. I haven't been there in like 20 years, but now I'm more motivated to visit because I've got to go to bread. (laughs) And we can't wait to see what you bake from the cookbook. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I'm getting started. Okay. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. I hope you have found this particular program inspiring, maybe enough to get you to find your kitchen, get in there and get your hands in the dough, start making some bread. And that can be sourdough bread, it can be a wheat gluten bread, it can be a gluten-free bread. 
You can make some of these wonderful dips and cakes and buns. There's just so much in this book, and it's all beautiful. I'm inspired, and I'm going to start with those baked beans, and then maybe the stuffing, and then, mm, I don't know, but it all looks really good. Thank you for joining me today on It's All About Food. I'm Karen Hartglass, and I really appreciate you listening and tuning in and wanting to know more about food, plant-based food, our food system, and how we can all protect our health, the health of our families, the planet, the animals. It really means a lot to me. Thank you for being there. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of It's All About Food. Have a delicious week. Mm-hmm.